Welcome to the market, sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, September 21st. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, and some other interesting guests here for our weekly visit on a look at what happened in the marketplace from Wall Street to the grain fields to the livestock feedlots. And again, geopolitical events plus events on Capitol Hill certainly having an impact on the market and what happens with the market. But it's been a record-setting week on Wall Street. Two days of record highs on the Dow and the S&P 500. And so let's look at today, the last day of the week. Industrials led the Dow to a new closing high ahead of next Monday's major sector reshuffle. That capped a week that largely shrugged off the trade worries. Trading volume spiked to the highest level since February 9th in anticipation of the S&P 500 sector change when telecoms will be folded into a new sector called communications services, along with heavy-hitting stocks such as Facebook and Walt Disney. And while the Dow closed higher, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq ended the session in negative territory. But the S&P and the Dow posted weekly gains, with the Dow showing its uh, biggest weekly percentage advance in over two months. The Nasdaq, however, lost ground on the week. Quadruple witching when stock options and futures expire and the rebalancing of the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 indices also contributed to some heavier traffic. Boeing Company, the United States' biggest exporter to China, boosted trade-sensitive industrials. That sector led the Dow's advance today, with the Dow Industrial Average up 86 points to end the day and the week at 26,743. The S&P lost a point to end the day at 2929, and the Nasdaq dropped 41 points to close out the week at 7,986. Telecoms rose 1% on its last trading day as a discrete major S&P sector and was the biggest gainer on the indices that the S&P 500. All of the FANG momentum stocks ended the session lower. Facebook, Apple, Amazon.com, Netflix, and Google, parent of Alphabet, down between 1.1 and 1.9%. And uh, taking a look at uh, the weekly changes on Wall Street today, the, uh, well, we pretty well covered that, but again, the exact numbers for the week, the Dow ended the week at, uh, to, the Dow, the S&P was up, uh, 0.8%. The Dow added a little more than 2%, and the NASDAQ dropped a quarter of a percent for the week. Shares in security and alarm company ADT jumped for a second day in a row, closing up 5%. 
as Amazon introduced its new Alexa Guard service, which could notify ADT of disturbances in the home. McDonald's Corporation up 2.8% after announcing it would hike its quarterly dividend by 15%, and Under Armour up 2.9% following an upgrade by J.P. Morgan Chase. A 2.9% in drop in shares of Micron helped pull the chip makers lower after the company said that U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods would weigh on its financial results for as much as a year. The S&P 500 posted 56 new 52-week highs and one new low, and the Nasdaq Composite recorded 64 new highs and 46 new lows for the day. The uh, situation next week going to be kind of interesting, so let's take a look at what to expect in the upcoming week. Federal Open Market Committee begins a two-day meeting on interest rate policy Tuesday, and it's expected to raise interest rates for the second time this year. The Fed's case for continuing its tightening path has been bolstered by a rise in inflation and with substantial employment gains being made as the economy grows. Wednesday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell will hold a news conference after the central bank's interest rate decision. And during the week, the uh, regional vice presidents of Federal Reserve will be on the speaking circuit as well. Now, what's ahead next week? Well, the highlight for the week, the Commerce Department's final second quarter gross domestic product report. And according to a Reuters survey of economists on Thursday, the GDP likely went up at a 4.2% annualized rate in the second quarter. That would be the same as its second estimate reading reported in August. The economy grew at a 2.2% pace in the January through March period, a slight upward revision. And other data on tap include the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Report on Tuesday, data on new home sales due on Wednesday, and uh, the Commerce Department will be out with uh, the durable goods orders and expected to show a 2% increase in the month of August. On Friday, the Commerce Department will likely uh, show that consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the U.S. economic activity, went up three-tenths of a percent in August. There will be some earnings reports as well, Nike expected to report on Tuesday an increase in first quarter sales and profit, helped by its new apparel and footwear offerings. Any updates on the company's performance after the launch of its controversial ad campaign featuring former NFL player Colin Kaepernick will also be in focus. ConAgra Brands, the maker of Ready Whip whipped cream, is expected to report Thursday a rise in revenue for the first quarter, boosting by rising sales in its refrigerated and frozen foods business. Accenture 
expected to report Thursday an increase in fourth quarter profit and revenue as the consulting and outsourcing services provider continues to reap benefits from its acquisitions. Carnival Corporation, the world's largest cruise operator, expected to report on Thursday an increase in third quarter revenue, helped by robust demand for its Caribbean cruises amid rising consumer confidence in the United States. And home furnishing retailer Bed Bath & Beyond expected to post a fall in second quarter profit due to higher coupon expenses, direct-to-consumer shipping costs, as well as store renovation costs. So that's what's on the schedule for next week that could have an impact on Wall Street and what's happening there. A look at the oil market this week. Oil prices up slightly in heavy seesaw trading today, giving back most of the earlier gains after news that major producers would consider additional supply. Investors grappled with whether the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and non-OPEC producers will offset a shortfall from Iran once U.S. sanctions go into full force November 4th. The uh, global benchmark Brent crude settled 10 cents higher today, ending the week at $78.80 a barrel. U.S. light crude rose 46 cents today to end the week at $70.78 a barrel. And that's more than $1 below the session high of $71.80 reported today. From the looks of things, uh, companies are going to be hiring a lot of seasonal workers for the holiday season. The latest one to report this week, UPS, United Parcel Service, will hire about 100,000 temporary employees for the crucial holiday season beginning in November. The company's seasonal hiring about five and a third percent more than last year when it added about 95,000 temporary positions. And uh, earlier, of course, we've heard from other companies like Target and Macy's saying that they're going to add more seasonal employees than they did a year ago. Well, Max Armstrong standing by to talk markets with Brian Basting when we continue on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. It's always good to have Brian Basting with us from Advanced Trading in Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome back this weekend, sir. Thanks, Max. Always good to be with you. I bet there's a cloud of dust over that region around Bloomington, Illinois. Farmers have been making rapid progress in the harvest with big crop Yields reported, am I correct? 
You are correct. We've seen a really rapid start to the corn harvest, Max, and we are hearing, generally speaking, some really exceptional corn yields. Uh, just a few fields of beans taken out so far, but uh, I imagine when we get into October, especially those will go fast. But early corn yields have been surprisingly strong. What have you heard from some of the growers? What have they shared with you in terms of the, the top yields? Well, I think uh, maybe a comparison would be best. We had record yields last year, for example, in McLean County, and those yields are being uh, broached this year to the upside. Uh, we're seeing some numbers that are five or ten bushels above that. Uh, again, not universal. There are some cases where, you know, uh, this and that, uh, maybe trim those yields back a bit. But, uh, again, it's a small sample so far, but uh, so far I've been very pleased. I have heard that the piles of corn are already visible out across the countryside. That's true. They're just starting here, of course. And, and when you look at those yields, Max, and you look at the carryover supply we have compared to the last couple of years, particularly our carryover supply of soybeans, that we're really looking at a storage crunch if these yields from USDA are realized. How many of those elevator facilities did not get cleared out ahead of harvest? Did you guys have any feel for that? Did you do any research on that? I'm just curious how much was left around sitting out there in country elevators. I don't have a real good feel for that. I think uh, one of the challenge areas, I'm sure you and your listeners know, is, is the northern plains at the moment with, uh, with the soybean situation, for example, up in North Dakota. That may be more of a, of a real big challenge up there uh, compared to the, to the heart of the Corn Belt. But uh, we're really going to test the, the storage capacity uh, this fall with the, if these yields are realized. That map, when you take a look of the soybean basis up in that area. It's brutal, isn't it? It's, it's what, a buck and a quarter under Chicago in some places there. Yeah, it's really difficult, Max. We're in some historically weak basis levels here, of course, with the, basically the effective termination, at least short term, of the PNW program for soybeans to China. Pacific Northwest uh, shipments. Yeah. Pacific Northwest shipments to China, of course, effectively with the trade issues have been halted. I'll use that word. Maybe it's a better word. Uh, hopefully we, we get those started again at some point. But all those beans are backing up now into that area. That is not the only place with a soft basis, though, right? I mean, while it's dramatically lower there, if you look at a wide swath of the central part of the United States, the basis is substantially lower than usual, is it not? It is. It's almost a bit of a snowball effect there when you look at the the storage capacity being strained here. Um, again, the soybean export program uh, way down from what it was and what it will be uh, from this time last year. Uh, and a big harvest coming on here. A multitude of things are coming together here to really um, pressure the cash markets. It will not slow the harvest, will it? I mean, if the producer has the opportunity to get in the field and it looks like the weather is cooperating, this could be a rather rapid harvest. When you look at the corn maturity, Max, we're looking at one of the fastest uh, paces of corn maturity we've seen since the drought of 2012. And, of course, that was weather stress-induced, whereas this is just a very rapid planting pace this spring, a very rapid development with warm temperatures this summer. I think the corn could be one of the fastest harvests we've seen, weather permitting. And, of course, the soybeans are ready to come off now, too, again, weather permitting uh, across the Midwest. Does that add pressure, then, to the market as well with all of this crop coming in? It does. It does. I think that the market's feeling that. Again, as you highlighted, the cash market is feeling it more so. Uh, where are we going to put the crop? How is it going to get tucked away? I think the warehouse industry has done a terrific job of preparing for this harvest. But again, there's always surprises here that no one can anticipate that there may prove to be some challenges. I know some private elevator operators who added it to their storage in just the past year. And one told me personally, I'm glad we did. Because he said, as, as you echoed earlier, the yields are going to be fantastic and around him. 
again, hats off to the, to the warehouse industry, Max. They have done a terrific job, not only just recently, but as you said, with the trend in soybean and corn yields accelerating here the last two to three years, they've anticipated what's going on here, and, and I think that the, uh, the industry is, is as prepared as they can be. We're operating under a very uncertain scenario. We don't have many comparisons with what is going on now, given the, the trade war with China. But is there the possibility with this rapid harvest that the lows of this harvest season could be put in fairly early, that they, once the crop comes in, and then we might actually see a bounce later on as the harvest progresses? That's certainly a possibility. I think that, that as you make a great point initially, we're in uncharted territory here, so I think we've got to keep an open mind about what these markets can do. Price prediction is impossible. What we've got to do is keep a close eye on, the, on these uh, political developments as well as the fundamental developments. And as a producer, I'd encourage your listeners to really uh, get control of these bushels for 2018, still looking at a potentially very high revenue when you multiply the bushels times the price. And that, that uh, is something to seriously look at protecting. Take that a little bit farther. How do you suggest the grower go about that? We really encourage growers to think about gross revenue. Now, for example, the soybean price is much lower than it's been in recent years. However, the soybean yields are much higher than they've been in recent years. So you multiply that yield times that price, your gross revenue is still quite attractive. And if you add on that market uh, facilitation program payment on top of that, then you're looking at at a, a, a basically a a revenue situation that's it's solid in many cases, and in some cases actually quite good. But you must protect that price because the price can go lower from where it is today. And you encourage we'd encourage your listeners to think about an option strategy, lock in a floor for that uh, production, uh, maybe a cash sale and a purchase of a call option, several strategies to consider to get a floor underneath those markets. The clock is ticking here. Between now and the midterm election, the beginning of November, if nothing happens in a positive way on the trade front and we get past that Tuesday in November, does the market scenario look even more bleak with the belief that nothing is going to happen near term in these trade disputes? Some of it will be contingent, I think, on, on what happens, starts to happen in South America. For example, we're starting to hear now that there's an early planting season. Yeah, they're ahead of a year ago in putting beans into Brazil, right? You bet. And I think that's a very important point from this standpoint, is that Brazil uh, basically will take away the U.S. market, all, all things being equal, about the first of, first of March, definitely by the first of April. However, that could happen earlier if they get planted earlier this fall and that crop comes off earlier, for example, in January. That narrows that window where China will not have to come to the U.S. Uh, but right now, it still looks like like at some point, if you believe that, that, that China is going to be uh, using the same type of rations, for example, for their hogs, they will have to come to the U.S. Uh, at some point here this winter. But again, that window narrows if the Brazilian supply from next year becomes available earlier. If it became early available in January, that would be quite early, wouldn't it? I mean, that's a good, what, 45 days ahead of normal? That would be the very earliest. I don't want to paint the picture right. that they'll be shipping out boats on the 15th of January. However, if that, that uh, first uh, uh, boats are shipped out 10th of February, that would still be earlier than normal, and that would, again, narrow that window uh, that U.S. would have to supply Chinese needs. They will be boosting their soybean acres. Will we be cutting ours in the United States come spring, and how much? 
All indications we've picked up so far, albeit uh, uh, we're just getting ready to start to harvest these 2018 crops, is that the 2019 acreage mix will look different. Uh, we're looking at the possibility of a significant decrease in, in soybean acres. What, maybe 2 million, 3 million? I've, I've heard as much as 5 million acres of beans, but again, not carved in stone. A lot can change between now right. and, and the 1st of May, of course, But um, and an increase in corn acres uh, in 2019. But again, uh, those decisions will be made over the next six months, but right now, the economics today, I think, are favoring corn. Your growers cannot afford to get lackadaisical, can they? I mean, in terms of their marketing, they need to stay very astute with what's going on in the world and uh, stay in contact with people such as yourself who consult with them. Yeah, very important point because I think, for example, in 2019 corn, right now the 2019-18-19 corn market, the export market is quite strong. We're seeing real good sales and shipments. However, a lot of that's due to the short crops that Brazil and Argentina had this spring. If we fast forward one year from now, for example, in Brazil and Argentina corn production were to recover in the spring of 19, our exports one year from now would could look quite bleak, and that would be on top of more corn acres. So we're encouraging growers not only to think about 2018 corn bushels, look at that 2019 corn crop, how to protect that, and there's some flexible strategies out there that they can consider. The corn situation, the world supply-demand situation, is probably just one weather hiccup away from improving substantially, is it not, Brian? It is, and I think we saw that earlier this year, Max, when we had the drought in Argentina, when we had the drought for the Safrinha crop in Brazil, the corn market did respond, moving into Memorial Day with a pretty good rally, over $4 at least on the board. But when it became clear that we were looking at a combination of exceptional yields here in 2018 for corn and, of course, the trade issues, then, of course, the market fell apart again. But we're looking at exceptional strong, exceptionally strong world demand. These low prices we've seen these last four years from 2014 to 2018 have grown our demand base, not only domestically in the U.S. with ethanol and our recovery in the livestock poultry, but worldwide that demand base has grown. So, yes, a hiccup worldwide could send these markets higher. Now, with soybeans going in early in Brazil, if this continues to be an ahead-of-normal soy planting season there, would that then suggest greater-than-normal safrinha corn acreage down there? A very good point. I would agree with that, is that those safrinha corn acres do go in after the completion of that harvest in northern Brazil, which, again, as you point out, typically would occur probably around that 1st of February time period. Safrinha corn is planted in that window from about the 1st of February to the 1st of March. But if the uh, beans come off early in January, that would impress, plus the currency relationships with the reality of the dollar, those types of things, today those things do favor more Safrinha corn acres uh, in 2019. And again, last year, the year that we just finished, they had a drought. If they were to recover, that could add to the supply. I know this is a tough question, but knowing how large this trade issue looms over the market, what's it worth if we get some news here uh, in the next few weeks that this dispute with China is being resolved and the trade will resume? What does that do to the market? I think it would be supportive. I think How much? It, uh, Any it's, idea? It's hard to say. I mean, I think any time you look at the soybean market being the most uh, supported, obviously, because of the of the trade we have to him. But, but I think any time you're looking at this type of volatility, we really encourage your listeners to think about flexibility rather than just make a sale, for example. Make a sale, but 
lock that floor in, but use a call option to leave that upside open in case we do get a resolution to this trade issue and or we have a problem in South America this winter. To leave yourself some flexibility, you're saying? Yes, I think flexibility is a key word for 2018. But first of all, the first key word is get control of those bushels, get a floor in place. Because if you have no floor in place, you have vulnerable, you're vulnerable to uh, lower prices, particularly after the crop insurance period ends at the end of October. Brian, thank you. Always good to see you. Always good to be with you, Max. Brian Basting, Advance Trading. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. We probably are going to be talking for several years about the damage in North Carolina, South Carolina, along the Atlantic coast because of Hurricane Florence. And on Monday, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue will travel to North Carolina to survey agricultural damage from the hurricane. He was invited to go to North Carolina by Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler, and then he will be visiting several sites and visiting with producers impacted by the hurricane. And you know, when you take a look at the numbers, more than 2,800 hogs on farms in North Carolina estimated to have died in flooding from the hurricane. And uh, North Carolina is the number two pork-producing state in the nation following Iowa. It has 8.9 million swine, representing 12% of the U.S. herd. Poultry losses will also likely exceed the 1.8 million birds that died from Hurricane That was several years ago. And uh, in addition to uh, swine and poultry, major producer of tobacco and sweet potatoes. So Secretary uh, Purdue will get a first-hand look at what happened and what is happening because it's not over for quite some time. Uh, The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency... Uh, This year, this uh, week, published new data detailing how it drastically expanded a biofuels waiver program for oil refiners. And the details published on the EPA's website on Thursday showed the agency issued exemptions for 29 small refineries in 2017. That freed them of their requirements under the renewable fuel standard to blend biofuels into gasoline and diesel. And that number was up from 19 waivers granted for 2016 and 7 in 2015. And it really came in at uh, higher than the EPA was talking earlier this year. That generated the following statement from uh, Kevin Skunas, who is president of the National Corn Growers Association. He said, we appreciate the step that EPA Acting Administrator Andrew Wheeler has taken 
to update the data to bring some initial transparency to refinery exemptions. However, there are a lot of questions left unanswered. We still will not know EPA's justification for granting a refinery waiver and without a change in how EPA accounts for those exempted gallons, those waived gallons that will be lost from RFS obligations. We are still waiting for a plan to ensure exemptions are accounted for with 2.25 billion ethanol equivalent gallons waived during the past year. Those are the words of the president of the National Corn Growers Association, not fully satisfied with what uh, came out in that information. Now, let's uh, look at the Catalan feed report that was issued today by the Department of Agriculture. USDA said 11,125,000 cattle were in U.S. US feedlots as of September 1st. That's 6% more than a year ago. And analysts polled by Reuters expected a 5.4% increase. Placements of cattle into feed yards for fattening during August totaled 2,700,000 heads, or 70,000 head, 7% more than a year ago, and coming up above analyst predictions for a 4.5% increase. Commodities analyst Don Roos said cattle futures could open 50 cents to a dollar lower on Monday based on that report. And looking at what happened in the grain market, well, corn futures were higher on export demand and short covering. And uh, all in all, we uh, settled up four and three quarters cents today on December corn. November soybeans ended down three cents a bushel, but corn rose for a third straight session. Well, eyes will be on the Federal Reserve and eyes will be on harvest progress in the coming week. And we'll be here a week from now to report on that. Thank you very much for joining Max Armstrong and me and our guests on The Market, sponsored by the CME Group.